You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome to the fourth edition of Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, home of your Ottawa Champions. Coming out of hibernation is Mr. Mike Nellis back in studio. How you doing, brother? I'm here. I'm al- I'm alive. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Oh, it's 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 great. I'm doing fine. Yeah, it's nice it, to see I was, you. I, I was away. Uh, I was away for the last week, uh, week and a half or so in Akalo at Nunavut. Um, I, I'm a hockey referee in the winter, and I was refereeing up at the Arctic Winter Games. How was that, Dante? So uh, it was a once in a lifetime experience. If you ever get a chance to go to Nunavut. I really recommend it. It's fantastic. I actually, uh, my uh, my cousin Michael married into uh, natives up in uh, Kujuak, and they have family yeah. out in Nunavut, and they do the whole hunting thing, and they do love the hockey. And oh, off the topic, Inuits, of, Inuits love hockey. Oh That's, yeah. yeah, Off the topic of baseball, I'm going to ask you this: Who is the only player to come out of there? Like a hockey player? Yeah, Jordan Tutu. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Perfect. Uh, so we're gonna go to the, we're gonna start off here with the Ottawa Champions and uh, some big news coming out of camp is that fan favorite uh, Bryce Mazzanari retired. Uh, Mike, you you've touched on this quite a bit and uh, what's going on? Well, he uh, 29 years old, Bryce Mazzanari, and I talked about this um, on uh, Twitter a couple days ago when uh, we brought this up because he uh, announced his retirement. Listen, Bryce Massonari, he's um, he is only 29, uh, but at the same time, guys that are that are moving on from baseball tend to do it at an earlier age when they're not in the pro ranks because, like, let's not sugarcoat it. In the end, indie baseball players don't make as much money as the guys that are playing in the major leagues. Not enough, uh, you know to say, all right, this is something that I'm going to do until I'm 40. You know, a lot of these guys say, all right, you know what? I'm going to either A, focus on family, B, focus on getting an education or getting a job or whatever, um, like a real world job, if you don't include baseball as a real world job. But a lot of people would disagree with that. Um, And Bryce, he's got a daughter. He's got a family. He just decided to move on at this point. I'm not necessarily surprised about that. You know what? Now that you you talk about it, the whole situation makes a lot of sense. And I wish him all the best. Uh, in further plans in his life, and obviously family comes first, and and that's the most important thing. But but let's tee up the whole show here, Mike. Uh, coming up, I mean, it's going to be a great show, eh? Yeah, we've got uh, quite a few interviews coming up. Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet Magazine, I think, is kind of the headliner. But we've got some Ottawa Champions players, Andrew Worth. Uh, Daniel Bick is coming on. Bick, a recent signee of the champions. So, um, yeah. of course, he's a familiar face, was here last year, but he's coming back. It was just announced. So that's a bit of a coup for Ottawa. A lot of people expected him to be uh, in the Diamondback system in Arizona this year. Yeah, it's going to be great. So we're going to start off, uh, coming after this segment, we're going to start off with uh, Mr. Andrew Wirth. He's going to talk about uh, sidearm pitching and and coming to a new country. He's only from New York, and this is the first time he's ever left left America. So it's a it's a whole new ballpark for him. And uh, and then after that, we're gonna have Daniel Bick, star shortstop for the Champions, and of course Arden Zwelling is gonna come on in the fourth segment. Mike? A, a lot of these baseball players haven't left the United States 
to come to Canada, um, you know, because they get they don't get the chance. And one of the biggest reasons for it is because there are no affiliated minor league baseball teams in Canada except for the Vancouver Canadians. Yeah. So um, if you don't play in the Northwest League at some point in your career, a lot of the time you're not going to get a chance to come to Canada unless you're playing in the Indies. Because, of course, we've got many teams uh, in Canada in the Can-Am League. You've got Ottawa, Trois-Rivières, Quebec City, and then in the American Association, Winnipeg's over there. Edmonton and Calgary used to have teams. There used to be a lot more affiliated teams in Canada, but now it's kind of an uncharted territory for these players. And they sign with Ottawa and think, you know, okay, what are we expecting here? And uh, they uh, come here and eventually find out that it's not that different. No, it it honestly is not that different. And Johnny (laughs) even mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, well, what's the weather like? It's one of those things. Anyways, so we're going to move on to uh, the Ottawa champions uh, are having... Open tryouts, Mike. Uh, oh. What's going on with that? <laughs> well, How if, does it really work, honestly? Well, uh, basically, it's just uh, run by the uh, champions team. Anybody uh, with any kind of baseball experience, that's, well, it's, or that's why it's called open tryouts. So can tryouts. I try out? Absolutely, Dante. Go ahead. You can be the, right, starting, you be the starting second baseman on opening day. Listen, I played second base for four years at St. Pat's. I had a good glove. I think I made 10 errors, <laughs> probably a little more than that. Two per game, 10 hours per game? No, something like that. <laughs> I had, uh, I never allowed an earned run as a pitcher, but I also had two hits in four, in four years of high school baseball. So and it sounds like Hallinier is going to be signing you right off the bat. You don't even need to step on the field. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, anybody with any kind of experience can try out. A lot of the time, uh, teams find players out of open tryouts. It didn't happen last year, uh, but uh, for the last team that was here, the Ottawa Fat Cats, they found a lot of their players out of tr- open tryouts. Uh, some guys show up um, with pro baseball experience who are just looking for a shot. Um, you know, guys that played in, say, for example, the Pecos League. Danny Grauer played in the Pecos League last year. He's the champions catcher. Um, those guys will come to open tryouts for Can-Am League teams and make it. So you can find some gems out of those. So anyone out there listening, if you're interested, get your high socks ready and get your glove and start swinging the bat in indoor. Ba- or no, actually, you swing the bat whenever. Get ready for open tryouts because you might the have snow's a snow's gone, or at least kind of. It, it's, it's coming back, but, you know. The snow <laughs> might be coming back at least. I mean, yeah. we don't want it to come back at all. But uh, let, let's... Before, you know, Daniel's going to join us later in the hour, but before we get to that, let's talk about the re-signing of Bick. What does it mean yeah. to the team? Well, it's huge. They've already signed Robert Garza, who's uh, an infielder who a lot of people expected to play shortstop for the champions this year um, because they were expected to lose Daniel Bick to the Major League Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, Bick wouldn't have been playing in the MLB, but no. he would have been playing high A, uh, maybe double A, next year in the Diamondback system if he made it, but he didn't. So now he's coming back. Um, And as a result now, Ottawa's got not only some pieces to work with, maybe work some deals out and get some um, get, get some uh, some help in other areas where they need it. Uh, we heard Hal Lanier uh, earlier this week on TSN 1200 say that he's looking for help uh, behind the plate as a catcher now that Masanari has left the team, uh, somebody with more experience. So maybe somebody like Garza can be dealt for a catcher with experience. Um, but Daniel Bick is as as you are going to see in the at the ballpark this summer is a tremendous fielder um has highlight reel plays almost every night you you could expect that every second night you'll be 
on the edge of your seat as a result of something that he does because it really is crazy. He's an acrobatic guy. Shortstop's arguably the hardest position to play in baseball, maybe catcher um, above that, but um, it's not easy, and uh, Bick makes it look easy. Yeah, he does make it look easy, and, and that certainly adds a little bit more depth with Garza being either on the bench or maybe playing second base, eh, Mike? That could be it. And you know what? The thing is, Albert Cartwright is most likely going to be the second baseman for the champions in uh, 2016, unless he is slotted elsewhere because he's played some outfield and affiliated ball before. He's played third base uh, for a little bit. Garza could be playing third because the champions uh, will be without Matt Tanaglia next year, who was the third baseman for a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, I, I could expect him to, to move over there. You would expect a natural transition for a shortstop would be to second base. But um, and, and you know what? Who knows? Maybe Albert Cartwright gets injured and Garza gets a chance there. So we'll see. <laughs> Talk about the signing of Johnny Cole. Of course, you know, switch hitting first baseman, six foot three. He's at least over 220 pounds. He's got a little pop in his bat. You would expect to see um, your first baseman as the big lumbering guy. If there's going to be a big lumbering guy in the field. Last year for Ottawa, it was John Talley. And we already have seen the signing of Kenny Bryant for the Ottawa champions this year. Now you've got Johnny Cole uh, kind of, I guess, backing him up, you could say. Or maybe Ooh. Bryant will DH. Who knows? I, I honestly, I, I like Cole. Yeah, he's a strong guy. Listen, if you want to follow him up and see him, look him on on, on Twitter at jcole25. He not is, to be confused with the rapper J Cole. No, not you know what <laughs> you know what I, you know what I saw. I was looking, and uh, he Johnny Cole posted a Twitter a uh, picture on his Twitter that J Cole followed him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is just great. I love it. Live uh, radio folks. Anyways, um, he uh, Johnny big kid. If you look at his pictures on Twitter. This kid is built, and he yeah. is a strong guy. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, I'm not that big," and and I was like, "Listen, man, you're you're deezed. You're, you're going to be hitting balls out of the ballpark. I'm telling you right now. You know what I mean? Maybe a little. I'm going to call it extra base pop. What do you think? Could be. And uh, you know, as a result, maybe he'll come in, steal the show, and as a result, be in as the DH, or he'll be in as a first baseman. Kenny Bryant can DH. We saw Bryant as the DH a lot of the time. We even saw him in left field, but I think that was a bit of a, uh, a stretch when he played for the Sussex County Miners. Absolutely. And, and with, with Johnny, um, Hal Lanier mentioned that uh, he's, he's left-handed, right? So yeah. they're going to try him in left field, but mm. the one thing that scouts do say and what Lanier really liked when he saw him at the showcase in Florida was his defense. Apparently, he has an amazing glove at first base, so we could see ourselves a starting first baseman this year. And as we said, Kenny Bryant has played left field last year for the Sussex County Miners, so he could be out there replacing Mike Schwartz, who was traded to Rockland uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago. And uh, Bryant, uh, I, I just did want to give you an idea, and give, or not you, but the listeners, and you, you know, but um, of the, uh, the history that he's got, he's a career independent league player, formerly with uh, Rockford in the Frontier League, and then last year he joined the Sussex County Miners as a 25-year-old. He's now 26 years old. He's got a lot of experience. Hit 10 home runs last year with the Miners, and that was a team-high 10 home runs, the first time that he hits double digits in home runs in his four-year indie league career. So he's got a little bit of pop. He does. He's a power hitter. He's six foot two, two 225 pounds. So this, around the same as Johnny. We're, we're, we're looking at pretty much the same guy, so, basically. <laughs> so, with, so the question is, Mike, before we wrap things up here, yeah. who has a better name? Johnny Cole 
or Kenny Bryant. Those are some pretty cool names. Those are some classic baseball names. I got to give it to Johnny Cole. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. Yeah, I got to uh, give it to Johnny. Sorry, Kenny, but we'll, we'll make it up to you when you get to Ottawa this year. All right. That pretty much wraps it up here for our champions segment. Coming up next, Andrew Wirth will join us from all the way out in New York. It's his first time coming to Canada, and he is extremely happy to join us here on Around the Diamond. All here, coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Are you with me? Are you with me? listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079, home of your Ottawa champions. It's now time to get to know your champions roster. And with that being said, joining me on the phone is Andrew Wirth. Andrew is a right-handed pitcher and was just signed three weeks ago by the Ottawa champions out of the Concordia College Clippers. This is where we welcome Andrew to the show and to Ottawa. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dante. How are you? I'm doing excellent. And uh, now you're from New York, so I'm guessing it won't take long for you to get used to the Canadian weather. That's correct. I am. Yeah, no, the weather down here, you know, first day of spring, it's already snowing. It's pretty crazy. So, oh, it's uh, snowing. I'll, uh, I'll get adjusted pretty quickly. Sounds good. And uh, let's go with a bit, of, a bit of a background check here. And I always like to start off, uh, growing up, who was your idol? Growing up, my idol was always Derek Jeter. Wow. Um, I always envied the way he played the game. You know, I respected it, um, as did, I think, you know, everyone else did, too. Um, he was a great idol for, um, you know, when I was in Little League uh, growing up. Um, you know, just the way he played the game, the way he went about his business and everything like that. Um, I think he's someone that, you know, people my age growing up uh, could really respect and look up to and, and learn how to play the game the right way. And uh, I'm going to ask you, of course, right now, you said your idol was Derek Jeter, but is there any pitcher that you looked up to and tried to model yourself, yourself after? Ooh, any pitcher. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of Roger Clemens, you know, growing <laughs> up a Yankees fan. Um you know, I've always I've always been a big fan of him. Um, his work ethic. You know, with that going, you know, with that said, I always liked uh, Nolan Ryan also. Yeah. I know that um, Clemens actually looked up to, to Ryan as well. Um, I just like the way that they went about. Um, you know, they're both the styles very much the same. You know, hard throwing right handed pitchers uh, with a great work ethic, and that's something that um, you know I always look up to, and I always uh, you know try to model myself after. Yeah, and and for sure, with all the success that you've had, what's been the key for you so far in your young career? Um, like I said, I would say I would say work ethic right now. You know, growing up, I've always seen the way my parents, you know, go about their business and, and you know, day in and day out, they, you know, they always, you know, busted their butts for, for me and my siblings. And I always tried to take, you know, a little bit of that work ethic with me, you know, to, to the baseball field. Um, and I think that's I think that's really important because work ethic, you know, there's no excuse. You know, people may have more. I know this is a quote by Jeter. People may have more talent than you, but. You know, there's no excuse for anybody to uh, to outwork you. And um, I really think that's a point in quality to have. And, you know, I may not be the best pitcher, you know, on the field. Um, but, you know, my work ethic and determination has gotten me this far so far. Um, I really think those are, you know, important qualities to have. Yeah, for sure. That's always important. But so far, if there's anyone that's helped you to get to this point, who would it be? Oh, um, my mom and dad, for sure. You know, my dad played a big part in my life. Uh you know, for 17 years, unfortunately, uh, he passed away going into my senior year of high school. But I mean, he was without a doubt, 
my number one fan, you know, never missed the game, you know, was always with me when I wanted to play catch, when I wanted to do whatever, you know, he taught me the game, you know, he, he was definitely my, you know, my biggest supporter. And, you know, my mom over the past couple of years has done an amazing job, you know, doing what she can and being able to provide for me. So I'm able to, you know, get put in these situations where I'm able to, you know, where I was able to go to these showcases and, you know, I was able to continue and, and graduate college and get my degree and, and be able to, you know, pursue baseball afterwards. Um, so I got I got to take it up to uh, to my parents so far. Um, you know, the way they raised me and everything like that is incredible. Yeah. Um, and besides that, I would say, you know, I have a great support system in general. My friends are, you know, an amazing group of guys. Um, I have an amazing girlfriend who, who stands with me um, no matter what. And to my former coaches, um, you know, my, my summer coaches and college coaches, they've, uh, you know, they've been able to, uh, to open doors for me. And, uh, you know, I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, that's Andrew Wirth joining us here on Around the Diamond, Ottawa champions, right-handed pitcher. So one thing that's a little bit interesting is that you do throw sidearm, according to manager Hal Lanier, you uh, hit up to around 90 miles an hour consistently. A lot of parents think that throwing sidearm kills your arm and it's not good for you. Uh, When did you start throwing sidearm? And then for any kids listening, what would you say for any advice for them to, if they're ending up trying it? Right. Well, it's uh, it's kind of a weird story. I wasn't always a side armor. I um, all throughout you know little league, high school, you know ever since I was small up until I graduated as a senior in high school, I always you know was kind of an over the top three quarters type of guy. And then you know when I got to school, it wasn't you know something that anyone did or taught me. It was kind of just you know I started to get a different feel for it. Um, I know I you know I was never a guy who threw 95, 96 miles an hour over the top. So I knew I needed to do something to differentiate myself. And, you know, I see guys in the bigs, guys that you mentioned before, like uh, Choate or even a, a Pat Neshek type of guy who they're throwing, you know, 90-91, uh, which, you know, is considered an average major league fastball, but they're getting the job done because they're considered a specialist because they're sidearm. So I would say about my sophomore year of college, um, you know, I was playing around with it. I started dropping down a little bit more and more, and I got more comfortable with the feel. Um, and I found that my ball started, you know, um, having more movement, um, yeah. I was a little more deceptive, which, uh, you know, for guys who aren't too overpowering, I feel like that's, that's pretty important to do. That's I started playing around with it, like I said, and I started getting really comfortable with it about my junior year. Um, and my senior year, you know, I took off with it. Um, and, it, you know, fortunately for me, it worked. But, um, you know, it's not for everyone. And, um, you know, if I had uh, any advice for kids, um, you know, there's a lot of different philosophies. Um, about pitching out there, you know, what not to do and what to do. Um, so I can't tell anyone specifically, you know, that it's, you know, to try it or to not try it. But, um, you know, it's just it just depends on the feel. You know, if you feel comfortable, like one day I picked up a baseball, I threw that way, and it felt great for me. And, you know, I felt more natural and comfortable than going over the top. If that's your style, then, then that's how it is. Then run with it. it. You know, if you're more of an over-the-top kind of guy, which most pitchers are, yeah. Um, then that's more comfortable. But there's not, there's not, you know, like I said, there's not one way, uh, there's not one right way or one wrong way of doing it. Um, it's just, you know, what's uh, comfortable for me. And um, if, you know, if you're a, a kid listening and and you play, you know, and growing up, and you know, you want to try something new or you know, you feel like it's right for you, then you know, by all means, go for it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And the one most important things is is obviously changing speeds and you mentioned a guy like Pat Neshek who's hitting 90 miles an hour with his fastball but then he'll drop like a 71 mile an hour changeup, and that's what really matters is changing the hitter's eye you don't have to throw 100 miles an hour to strike a batter out absolutely absolutely and, that, and that's that's very important also like you mentioned that's uh 
you know, like I said, differentiating yourself. Um, you don't need to be a guy throwing 98, you know, miles an hour. If you can, if you can do, um, you know, what Nishek does or anything like that, I mean, he just, you know, happens to do extremely well. But um, that's, that's very important also. Yeah, and the one thing that Hal Lanier did mention is that uh, you have excellent stamina coming out of the bullpen, and you could be ready three or four days in a row despite pitching at least one inning. Uh, what do you think about that, and how have you been able to do that consistently through your career? Right. Um, well, I've always been, uh, up until uh, I got to college, I was always a starter, um, you know, so I was used to it. But once I got to school, um, I just wanted to – I didn't necessarily want to be a starter or want to be a bullpen guy. I just wanted an opportunity to, to get out on the field and play. So whatever gave me that opportunity, I was going to take. So, you know, my college coaches sat down with me my freshman year. And, you know, from that point on, I basically knew that I was going to be, you know, a back end of the bullpen guy, someone who, like you said, is going to be able to pitch a couple days in a row – you know, and be able to help the team out that way, whether it's, you know, come in for a batter or one inning or, yeah. you know, whatever it may be. But I, I really started getting used to that. Um, you know, college, um, you know, the four years I spent at school definitely molded me, um, definitely built that up for me. And, you know, by my senior year of school, I was able to, you know, come out of the bullpen, you know, for an inning or a batter or two just about every game if, if my coach needed me. You know, I always told him that I was available to throw. And I remember my college coach told me that, you know, availability, availability is the best ability. Turn away from a guy who's going to go out there and try to give it 100% all the time. You know, if you're available and you're able to throw, you're going to get opportunities. And that was something that, you know, I always paid attention to and listened to. And, um, you know, fortunately for me, I, I'm able to go out there. And hopefully I will be able to go out there a couple of days in a row and, um, you know, give the champions my best stuff. Yeah, for sure. And Andrew, you put up some good numbers last season, a 270 ERA and 30 strikeouts in only 16 innings. Uh, what are you going to do to keep that consistency uh, in a different league? Uh, you know, keep working. You know, keep working at it. Um, you know, I have, like I, I, I talked about before, I have a strong work ethic. Um, I'm always trying to, you know, better myself and better my pitches, um, you know, get better command of the zone, um, you know, better command of my off speed. So I feel like if I'm consistent and, you know, day in, day out, you know, I work at it, I'll, uh, you know, I'll definitely be able to make the adjustment um, at the professional level and hopefully have the same success. Yeah, that's Andrew Wirth joining us here on Around the Diamond, right-handed pitcher for the Ottawa Champions. And uh, let's go over your pitches here. Uh, what are your pitches uh, as a sidearm pitcher? Sure. I, um, I throw a four-seam fastball. I throw a slider and a changeup. Um, my slider and my changeup, I both, you know, I hold off the four-seam grip which is a little, you know, unorthodox for, you know, for some, uh, some sliders, you know, some, some people may say, but, you know, it works for me and it's comfortable. And I'm also working on a two-seam. Um, now, coming sidearm, many people think that I already throw a two-seam because of the way my ball moves. Yeah. Um, my, you know, my four-seam just has that natural tail to it, um, you know, which, you know, is great for me, works out for me. But uh, the slider is definitely a pitch, you know, that's, I would say, is my, you know, my, my go-to. Um, I'm working on the changeup a little bit, working on the working on the two seam. I'm trying to get more movement with that. But uh, right now, you know, the four seam and the slider for me seem to be a good uh, a good combination coming from the side. Yeah, and speaking of pitches, uh, we're going to get to this part of the show. Is uh, as a pitcher, what would your advice be to any young Canadian uh, kids listening uh, to, that are wanting to try out new pitches? What age limit or what age should they be when they start maybe trying to do a curveball, and what pitches should they try? Oh. Um... There's a lot, you know, I, I said it before, there's a lot of different philosophies out there when it comes to pitching. Some, you know, I know I've, these days, you know, everyone's getting bigger and stronger. The athletes these days, you know, are, are, are very much so, you know, stronger and, and bigger than the athletes, you know, in the past decade and, and people's arms and people develop at different ages. So there's no, 
you know, I know that there are probably little league kids out there today throwing curveballs at 13 that are frowned upon because, you know, people said their arms aren't developed yet. Um, personally, I did not throw. I didn't. I just had a fastball changeup when I, you know, when I was younger growing up. I did not th- start throwing, you know, a side or curveball until I was about 16, 17. So, I mean, it, it all just, it all really just depends on, you know, who, you know, you know, their coaches and, and who, you know, who's helping them. And, you know, as long as they have, you know, they're being monitored, you know, they're not going crazy with it. They're not snapping off, you know, they're not throwing every day and they're not throwing, you know, 50 curveballs a day. You know, it really just depends. But, um, you know, I, for me personally, I didn't start until a, till a much older age. And, you know, I'm not sure if that helped me or not. You know, I don't know. My arm's always been, uh, you know, luckily to stay unfortunate. My arm's um, been good to me. I haven't had any problems with it. And, you know, like I said, that could be, uh, you know, contributed to the fact that I didn't start till an uh, older age. Um, and it may not be, you know. So there's, um, there's a lot of sciences out there that prove that, you know, throwing curveballs at a young age might be bad. But I would just say, you know, work on it. Um, if it feels comfortable for you and you're, be, you know, and you're being coached the right way and you're being told what to do the right way, you know, then go for it. Um, you really can't be told um, what's right and what's wrong um, if, if it works for you. Yeah, Andrew, and that pretty much wraps it up here on Around the Diamond, and I really look forward to seeing you this summer, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, definitely, man. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. That was Ottawa Champions right-handed pitcher Andrew Wirth. Can't wait to see him pitch this season. It's going to be awesome. But coming up next, Mike and I will be joined with Daniel Bick over the phone, star shortstop for the Ottawa Champions. That's all here coming up next on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. It's around the diamond on CKDJ 107.9, home of your Ottawa champions. I'm Diamond Dante alongside Mr. Mike Nellis here in studio for the first time since going into hibernation. How's how's it going, Mike? Oh, pretty good. I was up in uh, in the Callow at Nunavut for the last uh, week and a half, so um, it's nice to be back in uh, plus zero weather for yeah. sure. And speaking of the Ottawa Champions, let's get to the phones and welcome Ottawa Champions star shortstop Daniel Bick onto the show. Daniel, how are you doing today? Hi, good. How are you? I'm doing amazing. How's the weather over there in Georgia? Um, it's about in the 80s. Wow. Over here, <laughs> it's snowing. Fahrenheit. It's definitely a lot warmer than it is, I'm sure, up there in Ottawa right now. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we've got a couple big storms, uh, you know, past couple of days, so uh, we're looking past that. But uh, Ottawa just announced yesterday that you, re- or the other day, that you resigned with the team. Daniel, mm-hmm. you were a rookie last year coming and last year, and you had a very productive year in your first season with the champions. Now that you have one season under your belt, what's your approach going to do, going to be with a little bit of experience in the Can Am League? Pretty much that. I'm just gonna okay. I'm gonna try and use that experience. You know, last year I didn't know exactly you know what to expect, so I was kind of going in in the dark a little bit. Um, you know, now I got to know the staff a lot better, and you know everybody in the in the organization. So I'm definitely going to come in more comfortable. And, uh, you know, coming at the beginning of the season this year as opposed to, like, 15 games in last year, uh, I think that'll definitely help as well. Looks like we're probably going to have some new people, some new faces on the team. We'll have plenty of time to get to know each other. And, you know, I'm really I'm looking forward to the season for sure. Um, that one year of experience is definitely going to be a huge impact, for me at least, in this upcoming season. And just to follow up to the uh, the last question, you joined the champions uh, mid season last year, toward the beginning of the season, but albeit it was it was still in the middle of the year. And 
you know, you were kind of just thrusted right into uh, the professional baseball scene. Uh, was it any different, you know, making that adjustment from um, college ball to baseball, uh, pro baseball in the middle of a season? I would say the biggest uh, difference would probably be me going from being one of the oldest to um, amongst, you know, five of the youngest players on the team and probably in the league. You know, I was one of the younger players in the league as a rookie. And also having, you know, a lot of people older than me on the team, you know, to look up to. And they definitely, you know, fed me a lot of information and tried to take in as much as I could. You were in another situation, maybe with other young players, other prospects uh, in a spring training camp uh, this year with uh, the Arizona Diamondback. What was that experience like? And uh, did you learn anything from it? Yeah, um, I got a call during the season last year. um, that They were showing some interest. I knew for a few months after the season ended that I had this workout coming up yeah. down in Arizona. You know, I was definitely really looking forward to that. Um, obviously, their dreams, you know, be signed and play, you know, in the major leagues. So I was looking to that as a, you know, a step to help me get there. But yeah, I mean, it was aside from it being extremely long, and there was actually a lot of people there. Uh, I kind of thought it would be a little less, uh, yeah. numbers wise. But I mean, I definitely saw some really good talent and. I mean, a lot of people there definitely had the, you know, the ability to be playing at that level. Another, you know, thing I took from that was, you know, I didn't really see anything that, you know, stood out. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people in the Can-Am League that could even compete with the people I saw there. So, you know, everyone's pretty much, it's an even playing field, and there's definitely a a real chance, you know, to get picked up by one of those teams. Um, You know, timing, obviously, is, is huge. In, in a professional sports, you got to have the right timing. So, I mean, it went well. They, they said they liked what they saw, you know. But at that time, you know, they didn't have, you know, the, the room. Uh, they said they were already, you know, kind of full on players at the time. But, you know, things change and people get released and all that kind of stuff. So definitely learned a lot from that experience. And, you know, if something happens down the line, then I'd be delightful. I'd be delighted if that happened. But, you know... Right now, as a member of the champions, you know, that's my primary focus. Yeah, and that's Daniel Bick joining us here on Around the Diamond. And also, Daniel, the word around town is that you're one of the highest caliber defenders in the league over your career, both in high school. You've been able to develop such good glove. What is your advice to children playing Little League trying to become such a good fielder? Yeah, um, somebody told me once, uh, you know, a lot of people like to, you know, work on People tend to focus just on things that they're not very good at, maybe, or not their best skill. Um, but what I try to do is, you know, I took pride in my defense. I would rather, you know, go airless in a game, you know, than get, like, a hit or two. Definitely, you know, if you're good at something, like, let's say you're a good fielder, don't just, you know, kind of push it off to the side and say, you know, I really want to focus on hitting. I mean, definitely work on your hitting, but if you have a skill, like, at something, you know, like fielding, I'd say definitely keep working at it, even though you already think you're really good or if you kind of feel like you have a knack for it, you got to polish those skills continuously. And, I mean, I still even learn stuff, you know, throughout high school, college, and even last year that helped me get better. So definitely keep an open, keep an open mind and keep your ears open, and you never know. You might hear one thing, and that could change, you know, your approach to the ball or, you know, how you see the ball off the bat. That would be my primary thing is, you know, just keep learning, uh, keep listening, and, Talk to as many people as possible, and uh, you're bound to hear something that you know will just, you know, spark something. You're like, oh, that's yeah, that's exactly what I needed to hear. You know, maybe the way someone says something, and uh, 
light, light switch goes off, and there you have it. It's not just fielding where you were renowned last year, Dan. It was also at the plate toward the end of the season. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, last year, injuries and hiatuses with the team had you moved into the two-hole uh, in the batting order. And um, you really stepped it up at that point at the plate. How Lanier would talk about it um, at length and how you've improved and you really step up at big times. You had a couple walk-off hits. Uh, did anything change at that point when you got moved up in the order or was it just a question of getting you know more accustomed uh-huh. to the atmosphere? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, in the two-hole, you definitely you know get at least one more at bat per game. So you're always going you're going to see a little bit more um, than hitting in the eight or nine hole. And also, I mean, I think a big part of it was just the experience I had in that league. Like, I had some games under my belt. I think the timing of moving up in the lineup and where I was in the season, I think it all just kind of meshed. And, you know, I started seeing the ball better and just felt overall more comfortable at the play. Yeah, Daniel, let's move away from the Ottawa champions and do a little background check on yourself. Daniel, who was your baseball idol growing up? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I've... Always, I've had to answer that question a, a few times, but for me particularly, you know, Derek Jeter seems to be the popular choice. Um, but for me, I kind of just watched everybody. I, uh, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, um, and I was kind of a smaller kid on the when I was younger. I didn't really grow until I was later in high school and you know, in, in college even. So. I tend to like a lot of the smaller players, but Raphael for call was Ooh. a big shortstop for yeah. the Braves. Um, you know, Derek Jeter, obviously, but, you know, Jose Reyes even. Oh, yes. A lot of the smaller guys, you know, who are very <laughs> quick feet, good arms, great range. That's kind of who I, you know, looked up to for sure. You know what? I think you're like my favorite person in the world now. My favorite player is Jose Reyes. And you're, you're one of your favorite players is Jose Reyes. This is amazing. I'm telling you, Mike. I'm actually, like, I'm loving this right now. And Raphael for a call. Remember him? That was, he was, he was yeah. a guy that was, like, amazing back in the day. I like that pick. That's an unconventional one, so. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, moving That's on. I grew up watching, mostly. Yeah. yeah. In my, uh, when I really started getting into baseball, you know. He was the guy. He was the shortstop for the Braves in that, in that prime. I remember him. Prime age for me. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Even Chipper Jones being one of them. Obviously, you're not oh, playing yeah. third base. But another thing, Daniel, who was the guy that helped you the most to get where you are today? Um, well, outside of baseball, obviously, my parents, you know. Um, definitely couldn't have done anything without them. You know, playing baseball year-round, you don't have a lot of time for, you know, a job or anything. So um, they've always been, you know, really helpful, you know, getting me places you know, paying for camps, all that sort yeah. of stuff that you do as a kid. Um, I was really lucky enough to have those, those opportunities. Um, and probably inside of baseball, I, uh, growing up, I played, uh, my coach in Little League was a ex-major league pitcher for the Braves as well. Really? Oh. His name was Charlie Liebrandt. Okay. Um, he was just the first, you know, he was the first one I met, like, at the, at the youngest age. He was my coach and you know, he picked me just out of the blue. You know, he didn't really know what he was picking at the time. But, you know, him, you know, obviously my high school coach, uh, Tim Lemons, my college coaches, Coach Mitchum and Coach Cardi, you know, pretty much all the coaches I've played for, um, I would have to say probably, you know, had the biggest influence on me. Because, you, know, 
know, it's just, you know, play, I've played for a lot of teams, you know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you've been playing for 20-plus years. You know, you run into a lot of people. Wow. But, that's... I mean, everybody that I've played for, and you know, has helped out, definitely. That's a long time. They're the ones, yeah. <laughs> that's a long time, Daniel, and... Uh, to wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you, what's it like playing in the capital of Canada? That's a good question. Uh, I didn't know that initially. Um, I did probably at some point, but, you know, things <laughs> put on. But, yeah, definitely. I mean, I went, I saw the Parliament building last year. And the city <laughs> kind, of, kind of reminded me a little bit of Atlanta, like size-wise. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the best for all the places we went, it's probably the best setup for us players. Yeah. For sure. Um, and obviously, you know, bringing baseball back to the capital of Canada, that's something huge as well. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's just the beginning of, you know, a lot of other teams moving there or in the surrounding areas. Um, but, I mean, it was definitely a, a great experience, and people were awesome. And, um you know, I'm looking forward to coming back. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up here on Around the Diamond. I really appreciate you joining us, and I look forward to seeing the, seeing you this season. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to coming back. That was Ottawa Champions shortstop Daniel Bick, who just re-signed with the team the other day, and we wish him all the best this season as he will do a fantastic jog. Mike, you know what's up next? I don't know. What is up next? Coming up, Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca Ooh. will join us to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, the whole Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Bautista saga. You excited about that? Oh, we're getting the big names on this show, Dante. Absolutely. That's all here. Coming up on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079, home of your Ottawa champions. I'm Diamond Dante, joined by Mr. Mike Nellick. It's now time to welcome Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca, Sportsnet Magazine, and of course his famous Blue Jays podcast, At The Letters, on Sportsnet.ca. Arden, how you doing today? Dante, Mike, what's up, buds? <laughs> I'm doing well, brother. And uh, on your last edition of At The Letters, you, Ben Nicholson-Smith, and Jamie Campbell touched on the Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion. In that, you talked about the trades that the Blue Jays made in acquiring Edwin and Jose. What's, what was your first reaction when the trades first went down? Oh, wow. I mean, that, you know, that was way back in the day. I wasn't even in this business when that happened. I, uh, I guess I would have been in university at the time, or maybe even still in high school. This was a long time ago. People... Uh, People don't realize how long these guys have actually been with the Blue Jays. And, uh, you know, I think that when those moves first happened, they were just totally, you know, unheralded deals. About. You know, the, the, the Jose Bautista move was relatively minor. Uh, you know, a pretty pretty small little move there. And then the Edwin and Canassian one, I mean, he was a throw-in in a trade that the Blue Jays, you know, the Blue Jays didn't even really want him at the time. And they actually ended up uh, exposing him to waivers in Oakland took him and then uh you know Oakland non-tendered him and the Blue Jays got him back so it's kind of crazy to think that you know not that long ago the Blue Jays didn't you know let Edwin and Canacion leave for nothing 
Yeah. And now they're looking at having to re-sign him to a contract in you know north of twenty million dollars. Uh, it's it's something else. The kind of the the career turnarounds these these two guys have made, going from you know bit players that you know were kind of shuffled around the fringes of rosters to two of the most elite power hitters in the game. And you can even you know extend it on the Blue Jays to uh, Josh Donaldson, who's yeah. a guy who was a fringe player with the Oakland Athletics again. Uh, couldn't really you know cut it on their major league team for a while. It's kind of like a four A type of guy bouncing up and down between triple a and the majors. And then all of a sudden put, you know, made some swing changes, you know, made some mechanics changes, really started taking his game seriously and went to a whole nother level. So it's, it's pretty interesting that all three of them have uh, ended up in the same place. So on the lines of Edwin and Bautista, where are the Jays at in terms of contract talks? Will we see something done by the end of spring training? I think the chances of that happening are, are very, very low. Uh, you know, there's always a possibility of something coming out of left field, but I mean, it's it's incredibly unlikely that either of these guys will be re-signed by the end of uh, spring training. I mean, I think they, right now at least, they just don't really match up in terms of what they think that their values are, in terms of what you know, Jose and Edwin think their values are and, and what the Blue Jays think the values of those players are. So, you know, if you don't agree on that, it's pretty hard to get a deal done. Uh, you know, and I think the Blue Jays will, will likely, you know, play out this season and see how things go, you know, see how the team performs probably through till July and, and just gather information on these players, you know, see see how they perform at the plate and see how their bodies are holding up. And then, you know, going into uh, free agency in the offseason, they can make a more informed decision on what they want to do with these guys. But, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, I I think there's probably no chance uh, that they, they retain both of them for 2017. There's an outside chance they retain one of them, but I think the most likely scenario is that neither of these guys are Blue Jays in 2017. And I guess that's a, a, a good segue to my first question. And um, I, You were at Pitch Talks Toronto on uh, January 29th, and um, you went on a speech-slash-rant that drew a little bit of fanfare about uh, the re-signing of Jose Bautista and how you know, uh, some people are saying there's no way that, that the Blue Jays can can give him anything near where he's asking because there's rumors going around about some obscene amounts of money right now. Um, and, and, and you said that, or at least, and I, I guess you kind of touted him as a guy who would potentially be able to play for another uh, five to six years as healthy as he is right now. And, you know, do you really think that the Blue Jays should be throwing everything they've got at Jose Bautista in an attempt at keeping at least one of these two guys, as you said. Yeah, you know what, Mike? I think that Bautista is the, by far the more interesting case just because of what a unique player he is in the game. You know, in terms of, you know, we were just talking about his career path, right? A guy who really didn't get good until, you know, the age of 29, 30. Then all of a sudden he went from being a bit piece, you know, to one of the best players in the majors. So that, that's pretty incredible in and of itself. And then you can talk about him as a clubhouse presence which is absolutely huge and something people don't really see a lot of, but his effect on young players uh, on the Blue Jays is is huge. You know, it's 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 unfathomable, really, the, the amount of uh, impact he's having young guys on this club. Not to mention being a champion for Latin American players, being an ambassador to them, uh, and really being one of the more intelligent guys in this game, and and somebody who you know is is always kind of the go-to guy in that clubhouse in terms of player union issues or you know, league issues when it comes to video replay or disputes with umpires, things like this. I mean, Jose Bautista's not scared to, to speak his mind. And, and when he does speak, it's very eloquent, uh, it's very intelligent, and it's on behalf of the other players in the clubhouse. And he's the guy who they look to to kind of be that leader. So he's such a unique player in that regard. And then you can look at you know his performance on the field. 
and the fact that, you know, as a 35-year-old power hitter, this is, you know, the outlier of 35-year-old power hitters. Like, this isn't, you know, Adam Dunn or, you know, you know this isn't Chris Davis. This is a guy who, you know, keeps his, you know, treats his body, as Mark Shapiro likes to say, treats his body like a Fortune 500 company. You know, he, he really runs it. Like, <laughs> everything that goes into it, everything that he does in the gym, I mean, everything is measured, everything is tactical, everything is, you know, high-performance-minded. Uh, he takes care of his body in, in an incredible way and, and really... I think that, you know, as a power hitter, you know, a lot of people think, okay, well, you just hit a lot of home runs. I think Jose Bautista's, you know, biggest asset as a hitter is his plate approach and his strike zone vision and, you know, how, you know, judging balls and strikes and, you know, being able to get to his pitch and being able to take walks. And, you know, this is a guy that could have a fantastic career as an umpire someday if he ever wanted to do that because he is so good at recognizing pitches. Uh, and, and if they'd let him in. <laughs> That's let him in as an umpire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's something that ages well, right? You know, and I think that Jose Bautista, you know, over the next four years could be very, very productive as a power hitter in the major leagues just because of, of those abilities and because of the way that he treats his body. And, you know, for the fact that, you know, this is a guy who for the first 10 years of his career didn't really play. So there's just not a lot of miles on him. So, really, you know, I, I think that, if, you know, when it comes, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, if you had to pick one guy, who would it be between Jose and Edwin? I'd pick Jose for sure. And I think that if you could get Jose Bautista signed to a four-year extension at a reason, you know, a rate that is, you know, market value and, and not a dramatic overpay, that's something I would strongly consider as, as the Toronto Blue Jays. Because I think for, that for the next four years, you know, for the next five, really, including this one that, that's about to begin, I think Jose Bautista could be very productive. Just quickly before I move on, I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned in that, and it was that he is not afraid to speak his mind and say things that you know aren't really conventional sports cliches or what you would expect. And he draws some criticism for that, but I find that there's a little bit more of an understanding when it's Jose Bautista. Why do you think that is? Because somebody like Phil Kessel would come out and say something and get completely eaten alive by the Toronto media, but it's almost like that's not the case when Bautista does it. Because Jose is usually right. You know, like when he mm-hmm. does things, it's it's not coming across as, you know, complaining, it's not coming across as petty or, you know, arrogant. I mean, when he says things, generally, I mean, there's really, you know, strong and sound reason behind it. You know, he really is one of the more intelligent, uh, progressive players in the game, you know, in, in terms of thinking about himself and his career and how to maximize his value. I mean, this, you know, this guy... When you think about, you know, his involvement with Booster Juice, you know, owning both Booster Juice franchises and his involvement with Marucci Bats, and he owns like a stake in a jeans company, you know, and some of the things, you know, Pizza Pizza, some of the things that you see him endorsing and getting involved in from the business side of things. I mean, that's, you know, there's purpose there and there's intent there. And that's because he thinks about this stuff. And he thinks about maximizing his value. And I mean, that's, you know, when he makes, you know, the demands that he made of the Blue Jays, I can guarantee you that he he brought them a a, a, a very very well you know reasoned and argued uh, uh, case for himself and why he's worth the contract that he's looking for. I wouldn't be surprised if he had you know data stats. I mean you know analysis of of his body and things like this. I mean I wouldn't be surprised at all if he had brought that to the table because this is a guy who really really thinks hard about this stuff and is, is generally right. So moving on a little bit to. Um one little blurb that was posted to sportsnet.ca and uh, you wrote an article on Mark Burley uh, in Sportsnet magazine basically just praising him and stating that he's still got something left in the tank. Um, how much are the Blue Jays going to miss Mark Burley this year? Well, they'll miss him on a couple of fronts. First of all, I mean, you miss 200 innings of a sub-4 ERA. I mean, that's, you know, that's not that common. 
you know, you, people get all over R.A. Dickey, you know, all the time. Blue Jays fans just love to hate on him for some reason. But, I mean, every year, plus 200 innings, sub-4 ERA. I mean, where, where else are you getting that on a consistent basis? That's something Mark Burley did every year for, like, 15 seasons. It's absolutely a remarkable thing to do in today's game to, to sustain those those numbers. So you miss him there, but miss him in the clubhouse as, as a presence and a leader for young players and, and a, you know, a, a guy that got, you know, that can be leaned on and a guy that, you know, was very much not, not really a vocal leader in the clubhouse, not very much a rah-rah guy, but very much a quiet one. And very much, you know, I remember back to the game against the Orioles, I guess, two years ago in Marcus Stroman's rookie year when things started to kind of set off a little bit. Marcus Stroman threw it, Caleb Joseph, I believe it was, and, you know, there was some chirping between Marcus Stroman and the, the Orioles' dugout. And uh, as soon as Stroman got back to uh, the Blue Jays' dugout, he's a rookie at the time, he's like 23 years old, Mark Burley, first guy to sit down beside him and kind of talk to him about what had just happened, what he'd done right, what he'd done wrong. First guy to kind of, you know, take him under his wing and explain to him, you know, just, just kind of be that, that veteran presence, so to speak, to use a, a cliched term. Uh, so, you know, I think the Blue, the Blue Jays will miss him on, on a couple fronts, uh, but, you, you know, it's you, you got to move on at some point. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, Arden. And, and, you know, to finish off here, I want really want to touch on Marcus Stroman. The team just named him a couple of days ago, uh, the team's opening day starter. And one thing I really want to talk to you about is his whole sponsorship going with, you know, he made that music video. He has his own uh, his own uh, his own hats, his own clothing. Talk about the business aspect of Mar- Marcus Stroman. Well, I mean, this kid is so marketable, right? When you just look at the personality, you know, the the, the charisma that he exudes with everything that he does. Uh, you know, he's always got a big smile on his face. You know, he's he's kind of you know he's got the hair that's very recognizable. Uh, you know, he's already trademarked his HDMH and and all that yeah. stuff. And a lot of you know a lot of him taking this stuff to the next level with you know new era and with Jordan and with all this stuff. A lot of that is Jose Bautista's influence, you know, and a lot of people don't really know that Jose Bautista and Marcus Stroman are pretty close. And Marcus really, really looks up to Jose, uh, you know, as, as, you know, as a mentor and as a guy who can guide him through this game. And, and, you know, Jose Bautista, as I was just saying, is a guy that is very involved in the business side, you know, the business aspect of it, maximizing his value, making as much money as you can in the very brief time that you spend in this game because, you know, really, you, you know, you're constantly just on the edge of the cliff when you play professional baseball. You never know, you know, when, you know, something might happen to you, like what happened to Ricky Romero, right? Yeah. I mean, Ricky Romero was an AL All-Star, uh, you know, had an incredible season. If you go back and look at those stats, I mean, his season was remarkable, and then he just fell off the cliff out of nowhere. So, you know, you've you got to make the most of your time in this game while you have it. And I think Marcus Stroman is, is taking his, taking steps to do that. Yeah, and Arden, that pretty much wraps it up here on Around the Diamond. I really appreciate you joining Mike and I here uh, on CKDJ1079, and uh, we look forward to having you on the the show once again. Dante, Mike, much appreciated. Thanks for having me. That was Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet.ca. Coming up next, Mike and I will break down the NL Central. That's all here on Around the Diamond on CKDJ1079.
It's Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, home of your Ottawa champions. Now joined here once again with Mr. Mike Nellis. To finish off the show, we're going to do a NL Central review. You excited, brother? I am jumping out of my seat. I got to really? tell you. Well, well, we yeah. just had Arden Zellin on. Or Z- Zwelling. Yeah, he, uh, Zwelling. There he, we go. he tends to hype you up, especially when you uh, basically talk to somebody who is going on, and, and I was just on his Twitter, he was basically coming off an interview on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Was he? And then comes on to do an interview here what on he? Around the Diamond. So how about that? He's a trooper, man. Yeah, I know. He's uh, he's always willing to, to help out the young guys, and uh, just as much as he is to he go on funny, Sportsnet man. and uh, get on that uh, that big stage. But yeah, I know he's a funny guy. He's... Uh, he knows a lot. He knows a lot about baseball. I really want to have him back on the show. I I, de- I think we could definitely have him on back. Like we on can the- swing it or what? Oh yeah, we can. Anyways, so we're we gonna- got the connections. We got you know. Yes, indeed. And <laughs> so now we're going to go to our AL Central or NL Central review. And Mike, uh, who's your top five in the division? In the NL Central. Okay, so I've got the Chicago Cubs winning the division. You don't like that? No, I don't. No, you don't. We'll get into it. Um, then I got the Cardinals in second. I got Pittsburgh finishing third. Cincinnati fourth. Milwaukee fifth. So it was... Okay, well, you know what? The Milwaukee-Cincinnati <laughs> can go both ways. With, there's no chance in heck they have... That they pass any of the top three. No, they won't. Who are all going to be competing for 90 wins, basically. Yes, and so Saint, uh, for me, St. Louis, veteran team. They got Mike Matheny as their manager. They, yeah. they, they'll win it. I think they have a good starting rotation, veteran team. That's that's pretty much what I have to say. The Pirates, they've just been so good over the last five years that, or the last four years that, they will definitely make the playoffs. The Cubs had one good season despite having a dog's breakfast of of a decade, right? So yeah, it, it, rebuilding for a decade. The Pirates were about the same, but have been consistent for the last couple of years. You got Andrew McCutcheon leading your team. And and they just added uh, David Freeze, who should be a good fit on that team as well. Yeah, we just watched them against the uh, Toronto Blue Jays yesterday in a spring training game, and uh, David Freeze was very good. Yeah, he's a, he's a good third baseman, yeah. and I'm surprised that the Angels didn't re-sign him. But look at their rotate their starting rotation: Francisco Lariano, Garrett Cole, John Nees, Juan Nasco, and Ryan Vogelson. Their back two are a little bit questionable, but their first three are are fine, and their bullpen has uh you know has been never been. Better than than this year, I I think Mark Melanson has turned himself into a, an amazing closer. Fifty two saves last year, and he only throws eighty nine miles an hour. Slotting yeah. in at at number three, Mike. I'm gonna go with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, there's something in my gut that says that they're not gonna have as good as a season that they did last year. Uh, you know, they did have a good season despite adding all they did. They they did add a lot. Yeah, Dexter Fowler's back. Jason Hayward is. is is now joining the team. They also added Ben Zobris, Anthony. Well, their team. Oh, never mind. Their lineup's very stacked. They, but there's just something that tells me that's that some one of these guys will not perform. Kyle Schwarber will perform, but I think that maybe someone's going to get injured and they're going to they're going to go down the pipe. They do have an excellent team, good veterans. Their rotation is probably one of the better ones in the in this division. Well, and they and, and the thing is, is they they have a new look, and it, yeah. yeah, sure they. Um, well, you look you know, at the went, Blue Jays, right? What through, they did. Yeah, they went, basically went through t- 10 years of mediocrity, more than 10 years, if you want to look at how long they've been outside of the picture for. But um, th- their whole team is basically acquired via signing, via trading in the last like two years. and Only a couple of draftees, right? Yeah, and, and, and that's that really goes to show you that the Cubs have 
kind of given up on the prospect pool and, and building from within and, and, and they're trying to, to build a way that, you know, the Blue Jays do in a way that the, the Yankees and the Red Sox, and it worked out so far. However, the thing with the Blue Jays, and you brought it up there, can a team that you just bring together that looks ridiculously good on paper mesh in a clubhouse? You just never know. And uh, they, we as Toronto fans would know that, right? We, we we do know that. What happened when they brought in Jose Reyes, Josh Johnson, and the and the whole shebang Josh there. Johnson. Yeah. Oh, God. We haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> When I, I was listening to Arden's podcast on on uh, Sportsnet.ca, yeah, and, and that's the la- that was the first time I heard uh, Josh Johnson uh, a, a couple of days ago. But at, th- yeah, at the at the end of the season last year, somebody on the Blue Jays broadcast, I think it was Pat Tabler, was talking about Josh Johnson, and he brought him up, and I'm thinking, oh, who's that? And then it's like, okay, you remember, yeah, yeah you then you remember. you remember, unfortunately, but you do remember. So there's there's two big guys that the Cubs did add. Jason Hayward, 26 years old, they signed him to an enormous contract, as well as Ben Zobris, a five-year deal. Uh, he's going to be getting almost $20 million for the next couple of seasons. Uh, he has signed till age 39, so you never know how that contract's going to go. They're, you know, their bench looks pretty good. They have two young players in uh, Javier Baez and Jorge Soler, who can definitely come off the bench. Uh, they're both from Cuba, so... Um, it, they're 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 two good players, and and their rotation is definitely good. But what's questionable is their bullpen. Hector Rondon is their closer. Other than that, Pedro Strope is pretty good, and they they brought back Ke- Trevor Cahill, Travis Wood, and Justin Grimm. And we never know how uh, how they're going to turn out. But let's go to the bottom part of the division: Milwaukee and Cincinnati. You you put Cincinnati before Milwaukee, right? I did. And and. The reason why I don't think that's gonna it's gonna be like that is because their rotation is just a lot better than than the Cincinnati Reds, mm-hmm. and 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 their lineup is a little bit questionable. They do have Jonathan Lucroy and Ryan Braun, and also Chris Carter, who's gonna be hitting bombs in that ballpark. Cincinnati has a better lineup, but the Brewers have a better pitch uh, pitching rotation and bullpen. And, and what does it really come down to in the end, right? Is it offense or pitching? And a lot of the time, it's a toss-up, and, and, and that's it. Like, whether you value your offense more, whether you value your pitching. I think a lot of people have seen this recently as well, that pitching can lose you ball games just as easily as offense can win you. And, you know, you, you hate to look at it that way. Um, because a lot of these guys hold down the fort and and, and do a, a great job, a fantastic job. But um, you need a good pitching staff to be able to win. And, um, you know, neither of these two teams have good pitching staffs, which is part like, I mean, the Milwaukee and, and Cincinnati. They, are, I think you know, they have better pitching prospects. Willie Peralta, uh, former 17-game winner just about two yeah. years ago. Jimmy Nelson's pretty good. Matt Garza, a veteran, right, leading that staff. Taylor Juggerman. Garza's, Garza's a good. Taylor Juggerman yeah. and Chase Anderson, right? So mm-hmm. I, I do like their rotation. They throw hard. And uh, here, here's one name that Blue Jays fans know in their bullpen as their closer, Mm-mm. Jeremy Jeffries. <laughs> Remember yes. him? Oh, yeah. The Jays tried him out. He throws like 100 miles an hour, but he can't hit the plate, and he hits a lot of batters, and he had the, the DUI charges in the minor league, so that's what got him out. There were a couple different players that you see come through the ranks and, you know, uh, you hear about how crazy their fastball is and, and how fast they can, how how hard they can pitch. Oh, he really can throw heat. And then hey, he comes in the game and the pitch is five feet outside the zone, right? So, Like Sergio um, Santos. 
yeah, that's a good example, actually, Sergio Santos. I, I like Sergio, but... Um, Where is he now, though? That's the thing, right? It, 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 in the end, it comes down to control and um, just to... Uh, to, to, to get away from it a little bit, uh, the champions brought a guy in last year. His name was Jose Figuereo. And, Ooh, I uh, like the name. Yeah, he uh, he had um, he had two appearances. And let me tell you, he, he probably could throw like 93-94 in the Can-Am League. He had heat. That's a lot. He, yeah, he had heat. He just couldn't hit the zone. And he got blown up both appearances that he came in because he just couldn't hit the zone. He was throwing heat, but that's all he had. And within two games, see you later, Jose, unfortunately. Really? Oh, yeah. A lot of the time you would find that Hal didn't he, – he, we're moving away from the NL Central now, but, yeah, no, Hal didn't screw around when, when it came down to crunch time. So he, he doesn't like – he, he doesn't play his cards. Uh, no, well, he does. He, he does because a lot of the time in indie leagues especially you have to. Um, but uh, in that situation, it was – yeah, it was it was a drastic uh, it it was a drastic misplay and um, they they had to let him go. Yeah, and with the AL Central, we all everybody out there knows exactly what are the top three teams that are going to finish out this whole division. Oh yeah, and it's just a matter of fact. Like we can talk about oh they got this they got that, but uh, we all know what's going to happen. You you have a different list, but it's going to be either Cardinals, Pittsburgh, or Chicago who makes that next step. Uh, the the Cardinals have led that division for the for the past decade. And the Pirates and, Car- and Cubs are just coming into their own and are definitely going to be in the top two. It's just a question whether other teams uh, around the, the National League end up taking one of those guys for the wild card. Arizona's improved. That's it. And, and the NL Central is such a good division with those three teams that it's just hard for anybody really to, to challenge it. Um, you, you know, in the NL, if you don't win the division and you're not in the NL Central, you're going to have a bad time right now and and it's a it's a result basically of the cubs getting good so and, and that's pretty much just it yeah that's pretty much it and that well before we go before we go i just pulled up jose figueroa's era in his two appearances 135.0 he got blown out hard eh yes so we talk about getting released after two appearances that's how bad it was yeah so so <laughs> how many innings did he pitch Point one, and how many runs? Five, and that comes out to that. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. So he got one batter out. That's pretty good. He got one batter out in two innings, and yeah, in two appearances, I guess you should say. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Jose. And wow. you know what? It's okay. You know what? He he had a chance. He got a chance playing for the Garden State Grays. After that, I don't know how that went. Um, but he did get picked up by uh, the road team in the Can-Am League. I really hope things turn out well for Jose. And and that's a good note to wrap things up here and around the diamond. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show again, and uh, we'll have you on next week. Absolutely. Um, Well... Yes. yes. Yes, I will be back. So you're out of hibernation, eh? No, I I think so. I think I'm I'm good and I'm you know, I I'm I'm fully back now. I'm able to, you know, speak again and my, my lips have unfrozen and that kind of thing. All right. It was it was minus fifty five one of the days I was up in a Calowit. So Wow. Yeah. Anyways, that wraps it up here on Around the Diamond. Tune in next Saturday at five. Mike and I will bring you a, an amazing show with a whole bunch of interviews and more champions talk. You're listening to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079, Ottawa's new music.
Tune in to Around the Diamond next Saturday for an intense look on your Ottawa champions and everything baseball.